a number of weeks ago now, we set out on a journey together to contribute something substantial to you. We've been pursuing what it means to have a meaningful life. And that, as you know, is a massive, massive endeavor. Because a lot of people live their lives in a lot of different ways. But not everyone has a profound sense of meaning in their life. Not everyone understands what leads to a meaningful life. But I think that deep down inside, everyone ultimately wants to live a meaningful life. And as we near the end of our study here in Ecclesiastes, I can tell you with a rather high level of confidence what the biggest obstacle is for us, for many of us, to having a meaningful life. It's a common problem. It's not just a blind spot. It's perhaps the biggest blind spot that we don't often talk about. Ecclesiastes tells us of this error in our ways, and it's a type of misalignment. When you have a car and the suspension is out of alignment, you don't go straight down the road. And as you veer to the left regularly and you fight the steering wheel to try to keep the car going straight, of course, the tires wear out. And after the tires wear out, other parts begin to break as well. Realignment is what is needed for many of us as we strive to move down the road of this life on a straight path without wearing out. This obstacle, this problem, is probably the most important thing that we don't often talk about. It's a type of underestimation of the most powerful proportions. And when you underestimate something that's incredibly powerful, danger lurks. You know this last week, Category 4 hurricane made landfall in Louisiana, and as it did, many evacuated, some people stayed, and some people underestimated the sheer nature and force of a hurricane. One resident expressed the horrifying result of underestimating the strength of the storm. As he was sitting in his house, listening to 120-mile-an-hour winds outside as things were thrown across the street, as he was hearing the sound of shattering glass, wondering if that was one of the windows of his house or if it was the one next door, and as he perceived large pieces of wood flying by his front door. <laughs> he was scared to look outside for fear of what might happen to him. When we underestimate something powerful, the results can be painful. It's an obstacle. It's a misalignment. It's an underestimation. And the reality is that this obstacle to most of us experiencing a meaningful life day in and day out, to having a life that is bursting with a sense of meaning, is this. 
We don't fear God the way that we need to. We don't fear God the way that we need to. When you think about your daily life, where does a healthy fear of God come into your regular pattern of thinking? Ecclesiastes comes to an end, and the editor of this book makes his voice heard. Up until this point, we believe that Ecclesiastes is the direct words of Solomon, but now there's a little postscript commenting on the wise words of Solomon and giving us the summary. And this summary is found in Ecclesiastes 12, verses 9 through 14. Follow with me as we read this morning. This is what it says. He writes, Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like, fixed, are like goads, and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. My son, beware of anything beyond these. Of making many books there is no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. The end of the matter. All has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment, with every secret thing, whether good or evil. The end of the matter is this, the editor concludes. This is the big reveal. This is the takeaway. This is the chief application of 12 chapters of wisdom. But before we get to the end of the matter, let's not miss a few of the important reminders along the way. The first one is seen in verses 9 and 10, and that is the brief reminder for us that the pursuit of meaning from this book is a wise endeavor. It says that Solomon gives much knowledge and many proverbs, and they were filled with wisdom and arranged very carefully. We are reminded as we think about the story of Solomon in the Bible. We are reminded of the incredible nature of wisdom that God gave to him. And verse 10 says that the preacher sought to find words of delight. That means not only did he give truth, but he tried to communicate this truth in a way that was really memorable for us. A way that was helpful for us to hear. And think about it over the last number of weeks, for those of you that have been here or watching online, the phrases that just seem to resonate with you. The phrases that you were forced to chew on for the following days because they were crafted so carefully. Phrases like, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. 
or for in much wisdom is much vexation, and he who increases in knowledge increases in sorrow. Or for everything there is a season, and a time for every matter under the sun. Or a threefold cord is not easily broken. Or better is a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who no longer knew how to take advice. Or he who loves money will not be satisfied with money. Or he who loves wealth with his income. This is also a vanity. Or how about a good name is better than precious ointment, (laughs) and the day of death than the day of birth? And of course, who can forget the phrase, in the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent? The list goes on. Wisdom communicated throughout in a beautiful way. Verse 11 tells us that there's also benefit to this wisdom. It says, if you follow with me, that the words of the wise are like goads and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. Goads are metal tools with a pointed end that are used to prod sheep. These are the cattle prods of the ancient world. And when they're used, they're sharp enough, just sharp enough to hurt. But they're not used to create lasting injury. Sometimes we need to be goaded or prodded forward in this life. And maybe you found the words of Ecclesiastes in some chapters these words of exhortations to sting just a little bit from time to time. Maybe you thought to yourself occasionally, that one hit a little too close to home. Perhaps it was when you were forced to evaluate your own choices as it related to the pursuit of pleasure. Or maybe... It was the idea that money will not satisfy you in the way that you're hoping for. Or perhaps it was the notion that you don't have control over the times and the seasons of life, and you don't even have control over your own number of days. God does that all. You know, when you go to the doctor for your annual checkup, he or she will often begin to poke you and prod you in certain places and ask you, any tenderness there? Does that place hurt? How about this? And if you cry out in pain, one of two things has happened. Either the doctor has pushed too hard in a sensitive place, or more likely, there's something wrong. And the doctor will say, well, we better do some more tests because It's not supposed to hurt right there. (laughs) If you think about Ecclesiastes and you think about some of the goading that has happened, some of the prodding that has happened, maybe even in your own heart and in your own mind, at times when we hear our conventional thinking challenged, we bristle a little bit in discomfort, and we're immediately tempted to criticize the message. Either the book has pushed too hard 
Or perhaps there's something wrong in which we say, my friend, there is need for the great physician because your life is not supposed to hurt right there. (laughs) Wisdom like this is also like fixed nails, the editor says. Like tent pegs firmly placed in the ground, the wisdom of Ecclesiastes keeps you from blowing with the wind. It pierces our mind. It tethers us to something stable. Stability. Stability is what we all need when the high winds of this world are howling. And as it provides prodding and stability, we see in verse 11 that this wisdom does so because it is given by one shepherd. This is referring to God himself, the shepherd over his people. He loves his people. He prods his sheep to lead them to the right pastures. He keeps them safe in a dangerous world. And so listen to him. He does not lead you astray. There's a warning here as well, of course. Verse 13, or verse 12, excuse me. Beware, my son, of anything beyond these. Of the making of many books there is no end. And in much study is weariness of the flesh. Do you ever become exhausted by trying to keep up with all of the latest trends in leadership? Or the latest business strategies? Or the latest theories about your health? Or the next new diet? Or the latest self-help goals? Last year, $769 million was spent on self-improvement audiobooks. (laughs) Another $800 million was spent in physical books for self-improvement. $1.5 billion spent annually for people to try to gain more wisdom develop more habits, change your lifestyle, have some clarity of perception, be self-actualized, get healthier, and stay healthier. And not all of these things are bad, but there is a warning. The warning is beware of wisdom that comes from someone other than the one shepherd. He gives you what you need to have a fulfilling life. And friends, that leads us to the end of the matter. In the pursuit of meaning in this life, we have seen that Solomon gave himself to self-indulgence, to learning, to money, to sex, to food, and to drink, and to pleasures of every kind. It was all vanity, he said, fleeting in its nature. It was like a vapor. Every time he turned to try to find a greater experience in life, every time he tried to turn to have greater self-actualization, every time he thought pleasure would do the trick, it was like trying to catch the wind. In the end, it was momentary. 
Living for the weekend won't give you a sense of joy and a lasting sense of meaning. Living for the next great meal or the next drink or the next sexual encounter won't do it either. Your career might be fantastic and you might be really, really good at it, but in the end, it will not provide you with what you most deeply desire in life. It too will be vanity, like chasing after the wind. The end of the matter, all has been heard. All of the pursuits have been explored. The end of the matter, fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. Now, to say that this is the duty of man is is interesting. If we translate it from the original Hebrew, it literally says, this is the whole of man. That is to say, this is what life is all about. This is what you were made for. When you are in proper alignment, when you see things as they truly are, when things are in your right estimation, the greatest meaning, the greatest fulfillment, the greatest experience of this life happens when you fear God and keep his commands. And as we've said in the previous weeks, fearing God is not simply being afraid of him. It is acknowledging him. It is recognizing him in your decisions. It's pointing to his proper place as king of the universe. It's appreciating his severity. Fearing God is a posture for your life. A posture is the disposition of your individual parts. And when they're considered together, they carry your body in a certain fashion. If you bend one of those individual parts out of place, your posture will be poor. And if you have poor posture for too long, the other parts are going to begin to hurt. Fearing the Lord is a posture for your life in every action, every thought, every deed, every desire. We grow to acknowledge Him, to revere Him, to follow Him, to love Him. And as you do, true, powerful, meaning, burgeons forth for you. There are wonderful benefits for you in fearing the Lord. When you live your life in this way, listen to some of the things that the Bible says. This is just a flavor through Psalms and Proverbs about the benefits of fearing the Lord. It says that the fear of the Lord adds length to your life. Proverbs 10, 27. It teaches a person wisdom, Proverbs 1 and Proverbs 9 and Proverbs 15. It enables a person to avoid evil, Proverbs 3, 8, 14, and 16. It leads to life, Proverbs 19, 23. The fear of the Lord brings wealth and honor, 
and life, Proverbs 22, and it is the fountain of life, Proverbs 14, 27. Those who fear the Lord have a secure fortress and a refuge for their children, Proverbs 14, 26. They're blessed, Proverbs 28, Psalm 112, Psalm 128, Psalm 128, 4. There are, they are to be praised, Proverbs 31. Those who fear the Lord lack nothing, Psalm 34, 9. They grow in their hatred for evil, Proverbs 8, 13. And they walk in uprightness, Proverbs 14, 2. To those who fear the Lord, God does particular things. He confides in them. Psalm 25, 14. Think about that for a moment. God confides in them. He makes his covenant known to them. Psalm 25. He has his eyes uniquely on them. Psalm 33. He has compassion on them. Psalm 103. He loves them. He sends his righteousness to them, Psalm 103.7. He delights in them, Psalm 147.11. He fulfills their desires, Psalm 145.19. And he makes them safe, Proverbs 29.5. Do you fear him? Do you go through your days acknowledging God in every area of your life? Or is he more often a passing thought? Friends, really pause and think about this. This this is the opportunity. This is a tremendous self-reflective opportunity for significant growth and greater meaning. And of course, we don't just fear God for the benefits that we get by fearing Him. We fear God because of who He is. Because He is eternal because he is righteous, because he's just, because he is loving, because he is holy, because he is all-powerful, and because he is all-knowing. Because there is no beginning and no end to this God. He is perfect in every single way. God does not estimate. He doesn't need to estimate. He is precise. God doesn't need to perceive things. He knows everything. And it's hard to fear God when we have a really big vision of ourselves, but a very small vision of Him. It's hard to fear God when we feel self-sufficient to accomplish what we want, or when we feel entitled to have what we want whenever we want. It's easy to underestimate this God in the midst of temptation because when we ultimately fall prey to that temptation, underestimating him is exactly what we do. (laughs) And it's most certainly easy to underestimate him when we Simply go through life charting our own course. And verse 14 ends with the reason why fearing God gives meaning in life. Look at it with me. The last verse of this entire book. For God will bring every deed 
into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. If you are ready to meet God right now or if you are desiring to avoid him for the next 10, 20, or 30 years, there will be one day when we will all stand before him face to face and every thought and every word and every deed and every single secret you have will be brought into his perfect judgment. Throughout the whole book, this preacher, Solomon, has been living life under the sun, life without God. And he is saying again and again and again, is that it? Is there any meaning to be found in any of this? And he concludes that life without God in the midst of our actions, in the midst of our desires, in the midst of our pursuits, if God isn't present there, then it's all meaningless. But now we come to the conclusion that if there is a God... And if he is holy, and if he will judge the world, then all of the sudden, everything matters. Every decision I make has meaning to it. Every action is an opportunity to display the glory of God, joy and meaning, and all of the above benefits that we've read a moment ago in life are found when I rejoice in Him, when I depend upon Him, when I trust Him, when I enjoy Him, when I strive for Him, and when I obey Him. The true meaning in life is found when you fear the Lord. And because God sees and because God knows and because God will judge, everything now matters. This leads Philip Ryken to conclude, at the final judgment, it will matter how we used our time. Whether we wasted it on foolish pleasures or worked hard for the Lord. It will matter what we did with our money, whether we spent it on ourselves or invested it in the eternal kingdom. It will matter what we did with our bodies, what our eyes saw or our hands touched and what our mouths spoke. Whether we obeyed our father and mother will matter. And so will the look that we gave them and that little comment we made as we were walking away. What we did for a two-year-old will matter. The way we made time to get down on her level. What we said about someone else's performance will matter. The sarcastic remark or the word of genuine praise. The proud boast and the selfless sacrifice will matter. The household task and the homework assignment will matter. The cup of water the tear of compassion, the word of testimony. All of it matters. The final message of Ecclesiastes is not that nothing matters, but it's that everything matters. Everything has eternal significance. Everything is a spiritual endeavor Every aspect of your life can either fall in line with God or fall way out of line with God. 
and it matters. It has eternal significance because it is all subject to the perfect judgment of a righteous and eternal God who sees everything. Your life is pregnant with meaning every single day. And fearing God is the way that you experience it the best. And what matters most is the decision that each one of us have to make about the Lord Jesus. The book ends, and it doesn't give us the hope of grace, but it certainly points us to our need for it, doesn't it? Because if it's true that I have failed mightily, and I have, <laughs> and that I'm going, I'm going to continue to grow in my fear of the Lord, but I'm not where I need to be, and I believe I will, then I need to be forgiven at that judgment. I need a Savior for my sins at that judgment. And the coming of Jesus not only gives us a greater reason to fear God because God conquers death, sacrifices himself in love for you and for me, and he gives us his perfect righteousness on the day of that judgment. So we will continue to experience life, meaningful life, not just that this is all that there is, but that there is a life that lasts forever into eternity. There's a life to come. A life with God. Jesus saves us from the vanity of this life and he ushers us into the eternal life. And so praise God, my friends, that everything matters. <laughs> praise God for his eternal purposes that are unfolding in your days right now. <laughs> praise God for the life that is to come because of his son Jesus. What a life we have to live. Let's live it in fear of the Lord. Please pray with me. Father, help us in this to see you more clearly, to never underestimate or undervalue you in our decision-making. Shape our thoughts and our desires. Give us a posture of fear that leads to obedience, we pray. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the ministry of your Spirit, which empowers us to this very end. And we pray now that you would grow us as a church family in this way and as individuals in this way as well. We love you, Lord. Amen.